Well, hey, everybody, it's Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. Now, over the last few episodes of our podcast, we've spent our time together talking about how we can all live out our faith during this time of social distancing to stop the spread of the coronavirus. But in this episode sermon, we're shifting gears a little bit, and that's because Easter is just a week away. So we want to spend some time in this episode thinking about some of the events that happened during Holy Week to help us all prepare ourselves for the coming of Easter. Now, before I send you to this episode sermon, I want to take a second and invite you to join us at Melbourne Heights as we worship together online. That's right, because of social distancing, we're not meeting live and in person anymore, but we are still meeting together live on Sunday mornings to worship online. And you can be a part of that no matter where you live. So I want to invite you to join us at mhbclouisville.com slash live on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, and you can worship with us. But now, let me send you into this episode's sermon. Before we get started with this morning's sermon, I just want to remind you that since we're worshiping together on Facebook Live right now, that you can interact with us throughout our service. So let me encourage you to post comments in the comment thread and like and share the service to invite your Facebook friends to join us too. But over the last few weeks, we've spent our time together talking about how we can all live out our faith in this time of social distancing as we try to stop the spread of the coronavirus. But today, we want to change our focus just a bit. And that's because Easter is coming. Next Sunday, April 12th, is Easter Sunday. And that's not going to change just because we won't be able to worship together in person next week. So I want to spend our time together this morning exploring some of the things that happened to Jesus on the way to the cross. Specifically, I want to talk about some things that happened on Good Friday. And yeah, I know that today is Palm Sunday. That's why we started our service with a video of our kids waving palm branches. But Palm Sunday is just a small part of the story. And I actually just preached on Palm Sunday back on March 1st. So today I want us to turn our attention to something else. I want us to turn our attention to what may have been the hardest part of Jesus' journey to the cross. And I think the hardest part of Jesus' journey to the cross took place after he was arrested, after he was put on trial, and after he was sentenced to die. The hardest part of Jesus' journey to the cross happened while he was carrying his cross. Now, last week, we spent some of our time together talking about what the cross was really like. And we talked about what the cross was really like because the cross that Jesus was crucified on was nothing like the pristine steeples that we put on top of churches today. The cross that Jesus died on was nothing like the shiny little pendants that we hang at the end of our necklaces today. The cross that Jesus died on was an old, rugged object of mass execution. And in the story that we're going to be looking at this morning, we're going to see that Jesus was forced to carry his cross out to the place where he would be crucified on it. Now, depending on which scholar you read, you'll find conflicting theories on which part of the cross Jesus was forced to carry. Some scholars believe he had to carry the whole cross, and other scholars believe he only had to carry the horizontal beam, the part of the cross that his hands would have been nailed into. And since no one knows for sure, I just want to take a minute to talk about the horizontal beam used in a crucifixion. Now that beam would have been over six feet long and it could weigh as much as a hundred pounds. It was rough cut either by a saw or by axe. 
meaning that there would have been plenty of splinters and rough edges that would have been digging into Jesus' skin while he carried it. And Jesus had to carry it or drag that beam from Pilate's palace all the way to the place where he would be crucified, a place called Golgotha. Golgotha was about a third of a mile away from Pilate's palace. That's about six and a half football fields to give you some perspective. Now, can you imagine carrying or dragging a hundred pounds of rough cut wood for that far? I mean, I'm a, a pretty big guy. I'm six foot two, weigh about 230 pounds, and I'm in pretty good shape. As a matter of fact, I was supposed to run the last leg of the Triple Crown of Running here in Louisville yesterday, which would have been a 9.3 mile run before everything started to get canceled due to the coronavirus. And I can't begin to imagine how hard it would have been to drag a hundred pound piece of wood for a third of a mile. So do you see what I mean when I say that the hardest part of Jesus' journey to the cross was actually while he was carrying his cross? But it's so much worse than just that for Jesus. Now, I just told you that it wouldn't be easy for a pretty big guy like me in fairly decent shape to carry that piece of wood that far. And I've had a good night of sleep. I ate a good breakfast this morning. And I didn't even have to run in that 9.3 mile race yesterday. So I'm not sore or anything. So right now, I'm pretty close to 100%. But that wasn't the case for Jesus. Jesus was nowhere near 100%. Jesus had not slept at all the night before. Remember, the night before he had to carry his cross, Jesus had, Jesus had celebrated the Passover with his disciples. And that's a celebration that usually lasts for hours going well into the night. And then when that finished up, Jesus and his disciples all went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And while Jesus' disciples slept because they were utterly exhausted, Jesus prayed. And then... While they were still in the garden, Jesus gets arrested and he gets hauled before a court that meets throughout the night. Jesus stands trial while the world is sleeping, but he still has to carry his cross the next morning. But that's not all there is to the story either. Just because Jesus is running on no sleep, that doesn't mean that's all that's happened. Because when Jesus was being held as a prisoner, he was also routinely beaten. The guards spit on him, slapped him. And before Pilate turned Jesus over to be crucified, he had Jesus scourged. And let me tell you how that works. During a scourging, the executioner strips his victim of all his clothing and forces him to kneel down. The victim is then bound to a post that's about waist high. The victim's locked in this position so that he can't squirm or do anything else to avoid the executioner's whip. But the key to a scourging isn't how hard the executioner hit his victims. The key is how hard he yanked back the whip out of the victim's flesh because the end of his whip would have been covered with sharp pieces of bone or stone or metal that was meant to shred the victim's flesh altogether. So after a long sleepless night where he had been badly beaten, Jesus has to pick up the six-foot-long, rough-cut piece of wood that weighs as much as a hundred pounds and carry it a third of a mile to the place where he'll be crucified. So the hardest steps that Jesus had to take on his way to the cross were literally the steps he took while he was carrying his cross. With all that in mind, is there any wonder that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us that Jesus can't do it, that he can't carry his cross in their biographies of Jesus? 
Matthew 27, 32 tells us that as they were going out, they found Simon, a man from Cyrene, and they forced him to carry his cross. Mark 15, 21 puts it this way. Simon, a man from Cyrene, Alexander and Rufus, his father, was coming in from the countryside and they forced him to carry his cross. And Luke 23, 26 says, as they led Jesus away, they grabbed Simon, a man from Cyrene, who was coming in from the countryside. They put the cross on his back and made him carry it behind Jesus. Now, church tradition tells us that Jesus fell three times while he was carrying his cross before the Roman soldiers forced someone else to carry the cross for him. But I don't think it's just the weight of the cross that makes the final steps Jesus takes before his crucifixion the hardest steps he ever takes. I don't think it's just the exhaustion or the physical abuse that makes Jesus' final steps his hardest steps to take. Let me walk you back through a few other things that happened the night before Jesus' crucifixion and show you what I mean. So go ahead and grab your Bible, whether you've got a printed one or an app on your phone, and turn to Mark chapter 14. And while you're turning there, let me remind you of what I told you just a minute ago. Mark is a biography of Jesus. And in the book of Mark, we're going to take a look at a few stories that took place between Jesus' uh, Last Supper with his disciples and his crucifixion. We're going to start around the dinner table in Mark 14, 27. Here's what Mark tells us. He writes, Jesus said to them, You will all falter in your faithfulness to me. It's written, I will hit the shepherd and the sheep will go off in all directions. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even if everyone else stumbles, I won't. But Jesus said to him, I assure you, I assure you that on this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter insisted, if I must die alongside you, I won't deny you. And they all said the same thing. So here, Jesus tells all of his disciples that they will abandon him that very night. But none of his disciples believe him. They all swear up and down that they will die beside him before they deny him. But Jesus knows better. So not only does Jesus have to tell his closest friends and his followers that they will abandon him, Jesus also has to correct them when they say that they won't. Well, let's keep reading. We'll pick back up in verse 32. Here's what it says. Jesus and his disciples came to a place called Gethsemane. Jesus said to them, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. He began to feel despair and was anxious. He said to them, I'm very sad. It's as if I'm dying. Stay here and keep alert. Then he went a short distance farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if possible, he might be spared the time of suffering. He said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Take this cup of suffering away from me. However, not what I want, but what you want. He came and found them sleeping. So here, when Jesus tells his closest followers that he is sad and feels like he's dying and he asks them to stay awake, he comes back and finds them fast asleep. When Jesus flat out tells the disciples that he needs them to be with him, they can't do it. And let's see what the disciples do when the mob shows up to arrest Jesus. So let's skip down to verse 47. Here's what it says. 
One of the bystanders drew a sword and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his ear. Jesus responded, Have you come with swords and clubs to arrest me like an outlaw? Day after day I was with you, teaching in the temple. But you didn't arrest me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And all his disciples left him and ran away. One young man, a disciple, was wearing nothing but a linen cloth. They grabbed him, but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. In this passage, the disciples do exactly what Jesus told them they would do during their Last Supper together. When Jesus is arrested, every disciple goes running. And they're in such a hurry to get away that one of them literally runs away naked when the crowd grabs a hold of it. So here's what I want you to realize. When Jesus is being led away from Pilate's palace to Golgotha, Jesus isn't just carrying his cross. Jesus is completely alone. Every one of his disciples, every person who Jesus had committed himself to leading for the last three years, has abandoned him. They said they wouldn't, but when the going got tough, the disciples got going. So when Jesus grabbed this six-foot-long, hundred-pound, rough-cut beam and drug it through the city of Jerusalem, Jesus didn't see a single friendly face in the crowd. He didn't see Peter. He didn't see James. He didn't see John. He didn't see Andrew. Jesus didn't see anyone who cared at all about him. Jesus was isolated. Jesus was abandoned. Jesus was alone. In his darkest hour, Jesus was isolated, abandoned, and alone. You know, that's how a lot of us are feeling right now, too. Because of social distancing, we aren't able to spend time with anyone outside of our immediate family. We're not able to see our friends, our coworkers, our classmates, and for some of us, we can't see our parents, our own kids. And on top of that, we're all spending most of our time at home. Yeah, sure, we can take the dogs out for a walk or go to the grocery store, but that's about it. So we're feeling isolated, abandoned, and alone too. But here's the thing. God promises us that we will never be alone. As the people of Israel prepared to enter into the promised land, the land that God had given to their ancestors, God told them, I will be with you. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. In Psalm 23, God promises that even when we walk through the darkest valley, that God will always be with us. And God always keeps his promises. Which brings me to my favorite part of all of these stories. Out of everything that happened from the Last Supper to the crucifixion, this is my favorite part. So are you ready for it? Well, I've actually already told you about it. But here it is again. My favorite part of all of these stories is the part about Simon, the man from Cyrene. Because Simon the man from Cyrene is how God kept his promise that he will always be with us, even in our darkest hour and even in his son's darkest hour. Let me show you how. Now, Simon the man from Cyrene is mentioned three times in the entire Bible. And I just read all three of those times to you. So he's only mentioned three times in the Bible, and that means that there's not much that we actually know about this man. The truth is, we know exactly five things about Simon. First, we know that his name is Simon. Second, we know that he's a man. Third, we know that he's from Cyrene. Fourth, we know that he helps Jesus carry his cross. 
And fifth, we know that Simon has two sons named Alexander and Rufus. That's it. That's all we know about Simon. But these details tell us everything that we need to know about him. Let's start by talking about his name. The name Simon means God has heard. God has heard. So by sending this man named Simon, God has heard, to carry Jesus' cross, God is saying that he's heard the suffering of his son. God is saying that he has heard that Jesus is all alone. God is saying that he has heard that Jesus feels abandoned. God is saying that he has heard it all. Well, let's not stop there. Because it's one thing for God to hear, it's another thing altogether for God to take action. And that brings us to the place that Simon comes from. Now, you may not know much about Cyrene, because we're a few thousand years removed from the story, but everyone who would have first heard this story would have known something about the place. You can think about it this way. If I were to mention New York to you, you might think about Broadway or the Empire State Building or the Yankees. Or if I mention Nashville, you might think about country music. Or if I talk about Louisville, you might think about the Kentucky Derby. So folks would have known something about the place called Cyrene. And here's some of what we know about it. Cyrene is located about a thousand miles from Jerusalem in modern-day Libya. So Simon doesn't just like wander into town by accident. He's come from more than a thousand miles away. So he's not just wandering down the streets out to grab a loaf of bread or to pick up a pack of toilet paper and he stumbles into Jesus while Jesus is carrying his cross. Simon has traveled for more than a thousand miles, which shows us that he's on a mission, a God-ordained mission that Simon doesn't even know about yet. Simon thought that he had traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival. But God sent him there for an entirely different reason. God sent Simon to be there for his son. God sent Simon to show Jesus that he was not alone. God sent Simon to show that God always keeps his promises. Because here's the really cool thing about Cyrene, the place where Simon came from. Cyrene was a rich and fertile place where both livestock and produce thrived. Cyrene was known for producing abundant grain, wool, livestock, olive oil, vegetables, and more. So what does that mean? Well, it means that if Simon is from this place that is known for its thriving agricultural industry, that Simon was likely a part of this thriving industry too. It means that Simon wasn't just some random guy that shows up in the story to help Jesus. It means that Simon was handpicked by God to take care of his son, just like Simon took care of the, the land he farmed or the animals he raised. Simon, this man from Cyrene, was tailor-made for that moment in time. Simon, this man from Cyrene, was the perfect way for God to show his son and the world that Jesus was not alone. God not only heard Jesus' cries, God sent him someone to care for him. And what does all of that mean for us? Well, if God promised the people of Israel that he would be with them, then God promises us the exact same thing. If God was with Jesus when he took the hardest steps of his life, then God's with you when you face the hardest moments of your life too. If God was with Jesus when he took the hardest steps of his life, and God's with you when you face the hardest moments of your life, too. And right now, a lot of us are facing hard moments. Now, sure, it's not as hard as the moment that Jesus faced. It's not like we are waiting to be crucified, that we have to drag our own cross from Pilate's palace to the place that will die on Golgotha. Things aren't quite that hard for us. But social distancing is hard. 
And we've been at it for three weeks now. So just like Jesus, we're feeling isolated, abandoned, and alone. So we need to hear this. We need to hear the same message from Jesus today that we hear in this passage from Mark's gospel. We need to hear that we are never isolated, never abandoned, never alone. God never gives up on us. God never leaves us. God never forsakes us. And God will always send Simons into our lives. I mean, think about what's been happening over the last few weeks during our time of social distancing. Think about all of the Simons that are popping up in other people's lives. Think about what teachers are doing right now. I mean, you realize that schools all across the country are closed, but that doesn't mean that our kids aren't still learning. We have teachers that are showing up and saying that our kids have not been isolated, abandoned, or left alone. They're showing up. They're holding Google Hangouts or Zoom meetings, or they're calling, texting, emailing, and staying in touch with their kids, not only to help them learn, but just to say to them, you're not alone. Or think about what our first responders, our doctors and nurses are doing. They're showing up inside of our hospitals, sometimes without the personal protective equipment that they need so that they can continue to care for patients. Patients that are quarantined that nobody else is allowed to be around. But our doctors and nurses and medical staff, they're showing up to to remind these patients that they're not alone. And we can go on. I mean, I can just think about some of the things that have been happening at our church right now. I think about all of the people that I know that are picking up phones and reaching out and calling their fellow church members or people who attend at Melbourne Heights Baptist Church. We're reaching out to remind folks that they're not alone. So making a few phone calls over the course of the week or writing a few notes and dropping them in the mail or shooting a text message or an email or whatever it may be. But we're reaching out right now to our own church membership to say, even though you feel abandoned, even though you feel isolated right now, Even though we can't meet together in person, you are not alone. We're doing the same thing with our relationship with the Cabbage Patch House. Cabbage Patch House serves over a thousand at-risk kids and their families in our own community. And one of the ways that they do that is through a pantry. And our church provides pantry items for them. So we donate personal hygiene items and food items to to the patch so that they can help these families out. And when these families are coming into the patch right now during this difficult time and they're receiving assistance while they're there, they're being reminded that although they feel isolated, although they feel abandoned, they're not alone. There are people that are here to help them make it through this time. So here's what I want you to think about over the next few days leading up to Easter. I want you to think about how you can be a Simon in somebody else's life. Because here's the thing. Simon was tailor-made to be the one that was there for Jesus. I mean, his name means that God hears us. And he's from a place uh, that was known for how they took care of the land. And he's the one that shows up to take care of Jesus. We'll also believe that God has tailor-made you to help someone in your social network right now. And it could be something easy. Like I've already mentioned, you can just pick up that phone, make a call, or shoot a text message or whatever just to check in with one of your friends, your family members, your neighbors, a fellow churchgoer, just to remind them that they're not alone. Or it could be something bigger than that. It could be donating items to help out the Cabbage Patch House or something else that I haven't even started to think of yet. But I want to challenge you to be a Simon because there is somebody in your life right now that is hurting. 
Somebody in your life right now that is feeling isolated. Somebody in your life right now that is feeling abandoned. Somebody in your life right now that is feeling alone. And God wants you to reach out to them. God wants you to help take care of them. God wants you to show them that they are not alone. So be a Simon for someone. Be a Simon and show everyone that we're all in this together, that none of us are alone. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we've had to be together today and to revisit this story of Simon, a man from Cyrene. And yes, God, we've heard this story before, but it's also a story that we often overlook. It's a story that we jump past and rush on to other things from. But God, help us to see the, the importance of this story, this reminder that you place Simon in this story for a reason. You allowed him to be there to show Jesus that he was not alone. And God, I believe that you're doing the same thing with us right now. You've placed people in each one of our lives right now that are Simons for us so that we can be Simons for someone else. So God, let us find those people that are hurting, that are feeling isolated, abandoned, and alone, and reach out to them, take care of them, and remind them that you haven't given up on them, you haven't left them, and we haven't either. Help us remind and show this world that we are never alone. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, it's Adam again, and thanks for listening to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has challenged you to be a Simon for someone in your life. Because right now, there's someone in your life that is feeling isolated, abandoned, and alone. So reach out to them and remind them that God is still with them, and you're still with them too. Well, next Sunday is Easter Sunday, and I want to invite you once again to join us live online as we worship together on Easter. You can join us at mhbclouisville.com slash live. But if you're unable to join us live at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time next week, you can always catch us in our podcast. So if you subscribe to our podcast, the next week's episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And as always... Thank you guys for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope that I have been a little bit of a Simon in your life this week. I'm praying for you and can't wait to see you back here next week for another sermon podcast.